Thank you for coming to the podcast. Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com is brought to you by the very best in BJJ and MMA clothing, ADK Fightwear. ADK is a family-owned fightwear company located in the Adirondack Mountains of New York. They got high-quality fight gear at ridiculously low prices. So if you're sick of spending 80 bucks for a pair of spats, check out their Fade to Green spats for only $30. And you can get even more bang for your buck by going to ADKFightwear.com right now and using our exclusive promo code TURTLE. That's T-U-R-T-L-E at checkout. And it's going to get you 20% off your entire order. ADK Fightwear brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. This is Daniel Gumby Breeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com. Today we are talking to Sadiq Youssef, fresh off of his Contender Series victory over Mike Davis. So Sadiq, you know... They haven't been given a lot of contracts to guys who go to decision. Were you sort of worried that after that fight was over that you wouldn't get a contract? No, not at all, man. I was in a pretty good spot in the show that I got to go. I wasn't the main event, but I was on um, third. I was right in the middle. So I was able to watch the two fights before me. And the first one was, it was a decision also, and the second one wasn't all that impressive. So I already knew once the fight was over, based off just both of our skill sets, I knew one of us was going to get the contract. I was confident one of us was going to get a contract from when I first got the fight announcement. But based off the way the display the display of the fight, I already knew I was going to get the contract that I won. Mm-hmm. And and obviously most of your wins are by KO. Looking back at your record, you obviously have some heavy hands. Were you surprised that he took all of those shots and and didn't get knocked out? Uh yeah, I was I was I was very surprised honestly, but I was prepared. Like and b- before the fight started, we already we game plan to go for the finish, but I was I was already prepared for okay maybe because you can't there's some guys that are just gonna be able to eat your shots you know you're not gonna be able to finish everybody, so once I kind of figured out okay this guy's not going out and my injuries started like catching up with me a little bit I had to switch it up into a technical fight. Let, let's talk about that injury too because I'm glad you mentioned it. You, you're on crutches for the post fight interview what's the outcome of all that? How's the leg feeling now, and, and how long are you going to be out of commission? Well, right right now, the swelling's gone down quite a bit from um that the, that night. I couldn't even really, like, step on it. Now I could, like, walk on it a little bit. There's a slight bit of pain, but not, not very much, and the swelling is almost gone. But I got an x-ray that night, and they said they see a couple of lines in there, but they're not, they weren't sure if it was fractured or not, so they wanted me to get another x-ray once the swelling's gone down enough. So I'll probably get another x-ray the next couple of days. Ah, so it's still touch and go, still waiting to see how long it's going to be before you can get back in the gym? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm probably going to be in the gym pretty soon anyways. <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just want it to be at a point where I know I'm not, I'm not being stupid. I'm not doing more damage than, I, than is necessary. Yeah, and you're, you're not the kind of guy they can keep out of the gym for all that long, it seems like. I've I've had the same schedule for the past like six seven years of my life, so I'm not gonna be in the gym. I'm not gonna be chilling outside the gym. I don't have much to do with myself outside of the gym. <laughs> uh, so in that fight, we we heard your your training partner James Vick afterwards said he had quite a bit of money on you as a huge underdog in that fight. <laughs> Did you know about that going into the fight? And if if so, does that sort of add pressure knowing your buddy's set to make a, a pretty good chunk off of you? Well, no, because I, Vic, I, Vic will always bet on me, man. You know, Vic's <laughs> on me for a long time. 
the thing is, um, I didn't even know about the the odds. I I mean, I thought I was an underdog, but I didn't know I was a two, like. So Vic came up to me after I made weight. I was already eating and like hydrating, and he was like, "Man, hey, you know you're a two to one underdog. I'm about to put so many so much money on you." And that's <laughs> when I found out I was actually a two to one underdog. And then when I watched the fight later. I found out I was a three to one underdog. I was like, "Damn, man, it's kind of insulting." But you know, some somebody probably just messed up over there. They didn't do their due diligence to look up my fights. Yeah, I, I hope he, uh, I hope he paid for dinner or something that night, given that you just made him. That hey, much. <laughs> hey, I, I've, I've been telling everybody like, I know Vic, Vic make a, made a couple grand, but there was a there was a guy in Vegas that came up to me that told me he made eleven grand on me. Oh. I was like, that guy, that guy is someone that <laughs> should have <laughs> slipped me some money. <laughs> that guy definitely does owe you dinner. Um, so l- l- let's talk a little bit about your trajectory into martial arts here. I know you moved to the United States when you're only nine, uh, which is kind of a tough age to do that. How long did it take for you to sort of find martial arts and, and how did it happen? Well, I found martial, well, I've always been like a super geek, a super, um, like anime fan. So I always loved like anything like that involved like heroes and fighting and stuff like that. And when I, I first saw the ultimate fighter on TV, it was like an instant, like, it, it's like, Finding your purpose in life is like as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh my god, that's it! Like it just clicked like right away. I was like, that's what I'm gonna do. And I was telling people that as a child, I didn't even know how um they did it, but I was like, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna do that. I never boxed before. I never did any type of martial arts before. I just saw it on TV, and it was it was an instant instant attraction. And and what what season of the Ultimate Fighter did you see that made you feel like you uh you wanted to be a fighter? season five man that was um i think that's the season with nate diaz mm. as soon as i finished that season i went back and i watched every single other season I, I looked them up on the computer i used to look we didn't have like internet and stuff like that but i used to go to school or like go to the library i'll look up like old uh, ultimate fighter videos and i watched every single one so from then on i started looking at um, all the random mma fighters you know we ain't had no money so your boy can afford no pay-per-views mm-hmm. but <laughs> you just find the clips when you can and um keep it on Spike TV all day until until UFC Unleashed came on. Yeah, and so the, there really weren't many uh you know Nigerians and and not even really a lot of African guys in the MMA at the at the time. Was there anybody you sort of looked up to as like an inspirational figure for you? Well, at the time, my favorite fighters it was exactly like back then it was BJ Penn and George St Pierre. Mm-hmm. Cause those are man, I I I thought George St. Pierre was the coolest thing to ever touch the planet, man. Because George St. Pierre was like a real ass anime character, man. <laughs> he was mad, mad humble, mad vicious. It was like something straight out of a TV show. And I was like, man, that guy is so cool. And whenever they'll do like the background story of him and like showing him up, like growing up being all like frail and skinny and stuff, man, I thought he was super cool. And I really liked how honest he was about fighting and always talking about being scared and being worried and stuff like that. Is, is that something that you can relate to? Do you feel like lots of worry, like GSP has said he does, going into the cage, yeah. or are you you? I mean, you looked super confident when you were in there yeah, the yeah. other night. It's, it's, I, it, I think it's different with different people. Mm-hmm. It, it, the best thing you could do is be honest with yourself. Is it's, it's hard. I I get worried and nervous like when I first get a fight announcement, but as camp goes on, it kind of goes away and it turns. So here's the process: the I get the fight announcement. It's like, all right, we got another one coming. It's like an anxiousness, like you're you're ready to go, you're ready to go. Then camp starts, and they start um picking apart like the person's skills and all that stuff. And then weight cut time comes, 
and then all the anxiousness or like nervousness it turns into anger because now you're starving to death. <laughs> by the time um by the time you get close to making weight, then it's just like it's time to work. You know the the time for feeling any type of like anxiousness or, or nervousness is kind of gone. By then it kind of turns into confidence because now you can rely on what you've done in the past. It's like okay, I I put in this much work with pra- practice. I've done this much training. If if you was like a slacker or like if I like if you like messed up or mm-hmm. something you didn't put in the work, then I could see you being nervous. Or if you're just a nervous guy, kind of like how George says he is, he's just like a regular nervous guy. I I deal pretty well with pressure. So as long as I put in the work, all that stuff it just turns into focus. I like that. Like I like you taking us through the process there. Now I got one more question for you. Obviously, uh, you know you're waiting on that second X-ray before you can find out uh, when you get back in there. But seeing if uh, you know, say you have a, a clean bill of health next time you go in there, how soon are you looking to get back into the cage? Uh, probably in like two or three months. As long as because as soon as, as long as this leg is good, once I'm able. To, right now, I know I'm not. I can't really do much on it. You know. Cause it, it, I could put weight on it, but as soon as I start trying to like like bounce or like shift on it, it hurts. But as long as the leg is good after that, I probably just need a month or two to make sure I'm in peak condition, mm-hmm. and then I'll be right in there. I, I'm probably I'm gonna try to be as busy as I can to get get this con get this contract change. I want to add some zeros to the back of these contracts, you know. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And we, uh, so you said, you know, you'll have to get back in condition. Uh, and you know, you said the weight cut makes you angry. We saw you on the way into your house there with a box of Krispy Kremes. Is that, <laughs> is that your reward for? <laughs> yeah, that one supposed to see that. <laughs> <laughs> is that, is that, that your reward that, for the big victory? That, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, that's definitely for celebration time, man. Whenever I'm cutting weight. Okay, here, here's another thing y'all gotta learn about me. Um, there, I do like a YouTube series that shows some of my fights. So if you want to see like what the processes of my fight, like throughout the whole camp, I always re- I record it and I put it on my YouTube channel, Super Sadiq. But when I'm cutting weight, I I put it on Food Network. I know it sounds very <laughs> counterintuitive, but I'm mm-hmm. telling you it works. And if there's any other fighters out there that need like some type of coping system, I'm telling you this don't works. Now you're you're not gonna get to eat the food. But you can see them eating the food, and you get some pleasure from seeing them be happy, you know. So I, I put it on Food Network. I, I, I look at everything that they make, and I start picking out and making a list of the stuff that I'm going to eat after after I'm able to just eat whatever I want, you know. And then what the night before weigh-ins, most of the time like, I can't sleep because I'm so hungry. I go on Instagram. I look up some Instagram pages like Grubhub. Um, <laughs> I, I ice cream hashtags and stuff like that. And, and the fight is done. It's time to celebrate, you know. Yeah. I just I make sure I don't go too crazy. <laughs> well, we'll leave you to your donuts once again. Sneak Yusuf, <laughs> fresh off this win yeah, on the yeah, contender. I was supposed to see that. I kind of <laughs> hold the, the cell phone at a good angle <laughs> so, so make sure you guys didn't see my my Krispy Kreme. <laughs> well, once again, Sadiq, we thank you for the time, uh, and we'll be looking for that fight announcement uh, sometime near the end of this year or the beginning of next year. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Deke. 
This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland here with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and today we have the pleasure of speaking to Kevin Holland, who fights Tiago Santos at UFC 227 on August 4th, only on pay-per-view. So, Kevin, uh, you fought on the Contender Series not that long ago. You got a, picked up a big win against Will Santiago, but you didn't get a contract off of that fight. What was your mental state sort of like after, uh, you know, not getting the shot right afterwards? Uh, I just had that mindset, you know, you just got to keep going, you know, get back to the gym, get the training, and uh, see if we can get a victory. So you got right back into training after what was, you know, kind of a grueling three-round bout? Yeah, 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 right back into training. It didn't really feel grueling to me at the end of the day. It felt it felt like it was an easy contest, you know. It was, uh, it was, it was almost like sparring for three rounds against a guy who was a B-rated fighter, so it was really easy. And and did you feel extra, you know, I, I've heard from a lot of fighters, did you feel extra pressure in there to go try to get the finish, especially being the first fight of the season? No, 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 no. I didn't go in there with the mindset that I, I had to get a finish to get the contract. I, I had a mindset that I had to go out there and impress Dan White and uh, impress everybody just by uh, doing what I normally do. That's just fighting. Well, and, and clearly you did that, too. You definitely impressed him. Because, you know, he, he asked you back right, pretty much right away after not getting the contract. Was there any indication that he might be doing that? Like he might ask you uh, back to be like a replacement fighter to sign right away anyway? No, no, no. The interview that he had after when he said I talk more than I fight, so I didn't think that, uh, I didn't think I was going to get a car right away. I actually thought I was going to have to do a few local level cards and then I could go to the next level. And, and what was it like when you did get that that call? Because, like you said, you you totally weren't expecting it. What what was the the moment like? Uh, it was a very fascinating moment. You know, it was like, um, you know, I got the phone call. I was in the middle of the training, and so when I got the phone call, it was kind of like, oh, all right, this is pretty cool. I just guess I'll go back to rolling. You know, <laughs> so it was just you know, another day in the office. You know, just getting ready, just getting ready to to start the true journey. Everything before this was preschool. And now here we are. We're starting. We're starting the big grades. Yeah, and and you're you're definitely starting with the big grades right away because it's not that often we see a, a debuting fighter get a fight with a ranked fighter for his debut. Uh, you know, Tiago Santos currently ranked 13th at middleweight. Why do you think Tiago Santos was the name they came to you with? Uh, you know, I think they I think they just wanted to see uh, uh if I still talk a lot when I got somebody that's supposed to be tough in front of me, but uh. You know, we'll see. I mean, I don't. I mean, they say he's a tough opponent, but we we won't know until we see how I put him away. Yeah, and, and you, so you said you said he's supposed to be tough. You know, what what makes you feel like he's not as tough as as people are giving him credit for? Hey, where I'm from, they always say you're as good as your last fight. His last fight, he was knocked unconscious yeah. in the first round. That that is that is very true. So, um, you know, he he's also a pretty dangerous striker in his own right, and I, I'm sure that's where he gets that. That moniker, you know, he's finished Anthony Smith, Jack Hermanson, uh, Nate Marquardt. You know, the list kind of goes on from there. H- how prepared do you feel for his striking? Uh, he's a he's a, he's a he's a Muay Thai style striker, and, and I'm a I, if I'm not mistaken, I'm two or one or three and one in Muay Thai. I, I can do Muay Thai, you know, I, I I can strike. So when it comes to his striking, I, I feel overly prepared. I'm with the Lamb striking system. I don't know if he can keep up with the movement. And and is that the way that you see this fight going? You you see standing with him for as long as it takes for for him to hit the floor. You know what? Whatever he wants, whatever however he wants to lose. Some people don't like being knocked unconscious. Some people like being choked unconscious. As long as he ends up unconscious, I'm a happy man. 
<laughs> Absolutely. So I, I'm assuming I can't get a prediction out of you how uh, you see this fight finishing, can I? Uh, I, I can see. I honestly use that say first round, but I can see this fight ending in the second round once he gets a little bit tired. And uh, to be honest with you, it might be a, via body shot. I know. I know. Last time his chin got cracked, but I feel like he's soft in the midsection with the weight cut that he has. And and is so that that's an interesting point too, because obviously he's a huge guy. Do you feel like uh, the fact that you cut a little bit less weight is an advantage here? You know what? Yeah, I feel like I feel like I do a natural detoxing cleanse, and I feel like these guys dramatically cut weight. Uh, he's a big guy, but I'm I'm a taller guy, so I'm a longer guy. I'm a faster guy. He has power, but I have leverage. Which one would you rather have? I'd rather have the leverage. So I mean, he he doesn't seem that big, but he does cut a lot in that body, and so the body will get put away. Kill the body, and the head will follow. Absolutely. So I, I got to ask you another question, and this is sort of about the fight, but but maybe not necessarily about how the fight goes. This fight, is, as far as the UFC.com is concerned right now, is listed on the main card of a pay-per-view that includes two title fights. What's that feel like going from the regional scene to you know a pay-per-view card on you know one of the bigger cards of the year? It's still TV. At the end of the day, it's still TV. So uh, I guess I could say. Uh, I guess people with a little bit of money is going to be watching the fight because, you know, you have to pay the fifty nine ninety nine. You have to pay the fifty nine ninety nine. Don't go out there and fire stick my fight. Don't pirate it. But, you know, it's like uh, it's 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 nothing different. It's nothing different. I'm still fighting. I fought in front of Dana White in my last fight, and that's the man who signs my checks. So there's nothing different this time. I go out there and fight in front of Dana White. I fought on TV before. We're just doing it all over again. It and just has a different name, pay-per-view. Absolutely, and we're certainly looking forward to it. Once again, Kevin Holland fights 13-ranked Tiago Santos at UFC 227 on August 4th. Kevin, thanks again so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Have a wonderful day. In our interviews this week with Super Sadiq Youssef and Kevin Holland, we're brought to you by Sisu Mouthguards. We've all rolled with those bulky mouthguards in our mouth before, and it makes it hard to breathe. And plus, you gotta handle it while you're drinking water, and it winds up covered in germs and bacteria. But with Sisu, you have a mouth guard that is lightweight, and you can talk, breathe, and drink all without taking it out of your mouth. Go to sisuguard.com right now, check out all they have to offer, it's gonna change the way you train. I, of course, am Daniel Gumby Vreeland, joined as always by Shockwave Dave Tremonti. Dave, let's start by talking about Yusef a little bit here. I think we got a star in the making. I don't know. I like this guy, Yusuf. He's charismatic as hell. He looked up to my boy, Nate Diaz. Uh, we might have a budding star on our hands. Yeah, I, I think he's he's fucking phenomenal on the mic. You could see that when he was being interviewed by Lauren Sanko. You could tell when he was being, you know, talking to me right there. Uh, he's definitely really fun on the mic. I'd love, as soon as this uh, injury subsides, to get him back in there. And I'd love to see Joe Rogan get his hands on him. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. No, definitely a charismatic guy. And I got to say, I love Contender Series. What I used to feel about uh, tough is how I feel about Contender Series now. But I feel cleaner watching it because even when I love tough, I still felt a little dirty indulging in that reality TV bullshit. But there's none of that with Contender Series. You get to know these guys. They show off in the cage. 
You get to know their fight style. It's just awesome. I like this concept so much more than Tough. I actually think the second season, too, has been infinitely better. And one of the reasons was that I think now people realize how important it is to finish. Because in the first year, there were a lot of finishes. It was a higher finish rate than the UFC is already. This year, the finish rate is absolutely fucking absurd. And there's more contracts after six weeks this year than there were all last year by like four or five. Plus, our second guest, Kevin Holland, he got a contract after the fact, even though he didn't get one on the show. So really, there's been 22 contracts already, which is just fucking insane. Absolutely. And it's so crazy with Kevin Holland that he's now going to step up and potentially have a stand-and-bang uh, affair with Tiago Santos this weekend. Yeah, you got to talk about a guy having some serious balls on him to say that he's willing to stand-and-bang with a dude who, who might have the heaviest hands at all of middleweight. You know, like, I, I'm not saying Tiago Santos is the best fighter at middleweight. I'm not saying he's definitely going to beat Kevin Holland. But that dude, when he knocks somebody out, it's fucking vicious. Absolutely. Well, speaking of vicious, let's talk about UFC on Fox 30 real quick. Uh, the main event was pure fire, Poirier versus Eddie Alvarez. Uh, what did you think? 12-6 elbow, cost Alvarez, little fight IQ hiccup there, and Poirier comes away with a huge win. Mark Goddard did exactly what he should have. And it's unfortunate that you have to, like, hang that over what Dustin Poirier did. Because bottom line is I think what happens is if they don't get stood up there, Alvarez hangs out the rest of the second round in a weird-like position like that. They come out for the third round, and Dustin Poirier does exactly what he did anyway. Right? Like, the third round's going to start standing. Poirier's clearly got better juice. Poirier now has his timing down. Poirier's not in a grappling contest anymore. I think he just does the same thing. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, I definitely thought his striking looked just tip-top. Uh, he had the range on Alvarez and just looked a hiccup quicker. But uh, I love these kind of fights where a mental mistake, a mental mistake costs someone a fight. This is the kind of thing maybe you see in basketball, right? We saw that yep. in the finals this year with what's-his-name not knowing what the score was in Cleveland. <laughs> or, you know, you think of Leon Lett in football back in the Ooh. day, holding the football out and getting it stripped from him before he was about to score a touchdown. Or, uh, there, he had a couple of uh, bumbles, now that I yeah. think of it. But, yeah, yeah he, he, he messes up a lot. <laughs> but bottom line, when this kind of thing happens in the fight game, I don't know, there's just something so classic about it to me. Because fights are so quick sometimes, and for Eddie Alvarez just to have that mental mistake, we all know, no 12-6 to 6 elbow. Is it a bullshit rule? Sure. Did it cause any damage? Absolutely not. It, you know, it landed he on the his shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it landed on the shoulder. Uh, is Jose Aldo back and a title contender? I, I think Jose Aldo never left. That, that's my honest-to-God opinion. And, and here's another maybe semi-unpopular decision. I, I honestly believe that if Brian Ortega fought Max Holloway and beat him, you know, like, and, and there was a real possibility that he could possibly beat him. If Max Holloway lost his championship to Brian Ortega, I'm positive Jose Aldo would beat Brian Ortega. And, and I'm, not say say, I'm not saying that to disparage what Brian Ortega is made of, but I'm thinking back to Brian Ortega's past fights. And his last fight, before, or two fights ago, he fought Hanato Moicano, who's about to fight Cub Swanson this year or this weekend. It's in our preview later on in the show. He fought Hanato Moicano, who has a lot of similarities to Jose Aldo. 
He kicks the legs really well. He knows how to move in and out. He's got great angles, fast hands, and maybe not the best grappler in the world because he doesn't want to grapple, but he uses the kicks to set everything else up. And Ortega lost two straight rounds to Moicano before saving himself with a submission in the third in a fight he was clearly down two and a half rounds to none. So to me, the only reason Jose Aldo was ever not championship material anymore is he fought the worst possible style matchup that he possibly could uh, twice in a row for a title. Okay, I mean, I like what you're saying. I, I, I think Ortega at least is so tall and rangy, and then the, he's, you know, on a fucking finishing streak of like six or seven fights in a row. I don't know that it's a no-brainer, but, but I think... He told me that he was losing, though, too, though, right? Like, Absolutely. I, I don't, Moicano, he was losing. He was losing to fucking Clay Guida. He was like, losing to Diego Brandau, I think, wasn't yeah. he? And, and I love Brian Ortega, but the bottom line is, is like, we, we put him up on this pedestal because he beat Frankie Edgar and he finished Frankie Edgar, but at the same time, he's never really put together, like, three to five amazing rounds. Like, he should, you know, to show he's the real deal, he should have to do for us to feel that way. Whereas Jose Aldo has done that against Chad Mendez. Jose Aldo has done that against Frankie Edgar. He didn't just catch Frankie Edgar. He beat the fucking shit out of Frankie Edgar for five rounds. That I mean, I think that, and I, I don't want to belabor the point, we'll save this for when Brian Ortega and Jose Aldo are matched up, but I do agree that for Jose Aldo, what I think is getting lost in the Connor KO to the back-to-back losses to Max is that he worked Frankie Edgar for five rounds and literally put on a clinic in fighting while walking backwards, um, mm-hmm. you know, almost like a matador on Frankie Edgar that fight. Uh, so I do agree with you. He's probably not gone, uh, but he might not be the same. I don't know. Let's move on to our combat countdown. I'm so excited about this. We got tons of fan interaction with people giving their suggestions. This week, we're talking about the top five underrated coaches in the game, and I think this is an important point, Gumby. Let's talk about what makes someone underrated. We all know the household names of coaches, right? We all know Faraz Zahabi. We all know um, Greg Jackson. I think at this point we all even know Ray Longo just because of Chris Weidman. Duke Rufus. Duke Rufus. Those are the names, you know, and it's really, I think, a lot of the people that Joe Rogan are friends with, but you hear those names over and over again on a UFC broadcast. And maybe one or two of these names you're going to be familiar with, but on a sliding scale, we feel like they're too underrated for the quality of coaching that they bring to the table. And then with some of the other picks, I think they're names that just don't get talked about enough. So with that said, and with all the preamble out of the way, Gumby, are you ready for this week's Combat Countdown? Absolutely. All right, so we start with the top five underrated coaches in the game today, and we start with number five, which, hey, let's be honest, he's a friend of the show, and we are super fans of his work and his gym, but this was also suggested to us by Twitter user, at California MMA, it's John Crouch. Yeah, John Crouch down at the MMA lab is absolutely underrated. You've probably heard his name as a more and more up-and-comer, which is why he slides all the way down to five in our list, is because he is starting to get the recognition that he deserves. But let's look at his body of work. Look, I am a huge John Moraga fan, but John Moraga is not a crazy athletic fighter. Yet here we are talking about him as a top five flyweight. And that's because of his coaching. He's been coached into amazing game plans, phenomenal finishing ability, and just a really good sense of the game from his coach. You can say the same thing about Lauren Murphy. Is Lauren Murphy the most gifted athletic 
flyweight you've ever seen in your life? Hell no. But is she a top five flyweight in the women's division right now? Fucking right she is. Plus, he's got guys like Benson Henderson there who've just done a phenomenal job, former champs. John Crouch is the real deal. He's taken some guys who might not be top five unless they had his kind of coaching behind him. Yeah, I think you say that very well. And let's not forget, he has the former champ of the UFC in Benson Henderson, so that is to his credit. Listen, is John Crouch a name a lot of people know? I think he is, actually. I think he is. Let's also not forget Brian Bam Bam Barbarena. You want to talk about taking people with, let's say, not the greatest athletic tool set. Um, But for us, again, when you view it as a sliding scale, I just don't even think what John Crouch has done with some of these fighters gets talked about enough. He did have Mackenzie Dern. That's no longer the case. Um, But, you know, I would have been very excited to see where he takes her career. Uh, yeah, you but, almost worry more about her career now that she's not with John Crouch. I agree with that completely. Oh, and yeah. did we fucking mention uh, Sugar Sean O'Malley? Oh, God, yeah. He, it's Sugar Sean O'Malley, by the way, also not athletic looking, right? <laughs> he looks like the kind of kid you used to take their lunch money, right? Like, <laughs> fuck, man. And he is so good. He's so technical. He's so sharp. All right, we'll move to number four. We go from John to another John. It's John Wood of Syndicate MMA, as suggested by Twitter user, at Sarcastic, and that's just spelled in a crazy way. Uh, They know who they are, but what do you think about John Wood? I mean, John Wood is, uh, he's kind of become, for me, the reason I love him so much is he's a guy who's revitalized careers. Like, you take a look at Roxanne Modafari. Roxanne Modafari had a huge losing skid. Some Invicta fights, some UFC, or one UFC fight, a couple of fights in Japan. She was just on one of the worst skids that her career has ever seen, and she's got a long career. She changes to training at Syndicate. He teaches her how to use elbows. He teaches her the whole ground-and-pound game that's just been lacking from her career forever. She goes out there... Gets a title shot. She lost it in a very close split decision. And then she beats Barb Honchak. Like, she is on an absolute tear. And it's not just her that she's done that to. Look at Jesse Rose Clark. Jesse Rose Clark is on a crazy tear at, uh, at Flyweight. Look at, uh, you know, look at what he's done working with Mike Pyle. Look at what he's done working with Tom Waller. Like, those guys were down in their career, and John Wood brought them back. Uh, and to me, that's the biggest testament to what John Wood brings to the MMA game. Also, uh, Julian Marquez, who's one of my uh, favorite oh, young up and- Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the to look at his body of work, you look at Roxy, because what Roxy has done with her hands in the past few years is nothing short of extraordinary. I really think if you want to see like a crazy transformation in striking – look at Roxy in the first half of her career, and then look at her post-syndicate. Um, you know, it's, it's really impressive. We'll move then to number three. This was suggested by the one and only uh, Daniel Rubenstein, uh, but also by Twitter user at Jordan underscore Patu, P-A-T-U, and we're talking about coach Eugene Behrman. Yeah, Eugene Behrman runs uh, City Kickboxing down in uh, down under. Um and down there, he's got Dan Hooker, Israel Adesanya, Shane Young, and Kai Kara France all in the UFC right now. 
and what you'll notice about all four of those killers in the UFC right now is that they have one of the most impressive kickboxing games out there. And I'm not just talking about they all got power, because they do all have power. Dan Hooker's finished freaking four guys in a row at lightweight and is a ranked lightweight. Israel Adesanya looking like a goddamn wizard in there with everybody else playing checkers while he's playing chess. So not only is their kickboxing game just phenomenal and their power phenomenal, but the way they cut angles and make just other people miss absolutely pathetically. You know, like the, the punches that Brad Tavares were throwing and watching him miss Israel Adesanya was just upsetting. Gilbert Burns throwing punches against Dan Hooker and just watching Dan Hooker just move out of the range, it, it was incredible. So Eugene Behrman, just a master of teaching angles and range. And to me, that puts him so high up there. Plus, you got to think about the fact that he's taken four people to the UFC, two of them already ranked, and they all haven't been in the UFC all that long. All right, so before we do number one, I want to talk very briefly. Well, we number two, too. Oh, did, oh, my God, I'm so drunk. You're right. After we'll three do number is two. two. <laughs> You're right, after three is two. All right, we'll do number two, and this is suggested by, I was going to get to our honorable mentions, but now I've teased our honorable mentions, and we'll go right to two. Is, as suggested by Twitter user, at Mohamed Kabir, it's Jason Perillo. Yeah, Jason Perillo, a little bit more of an old-school pick, because right now, as far as the people he's training with, uh, mostly only training with uh, Cyborg. But if you look at his old body of work, I mean, like, let's go back to him training with, with BJ Penn. I mean, absolutely one of the best boxers in history, and before you, you at me about BJ Penn striking, looking all weird when he was on his tippy toes, that was not Jason Perillo, and Jason Perillo made fun of that. He also was at the forefront of, like, the Bisping revival, when Bisping's boxing became good again, when Bisping started hitting people harder. Um, so you, could, you can attribute a lot of that to Jason Perillo. Um, yeah, Jason Perillo, just like a masterful striking coach. Yeah, is absolutely, and doesn't get enough credit uh, to this day. So now that I've counted right, we can finally <laughs> do our honorable mentions. I'm very excited about these guys. Our very own Nolan King, of flow suggested Saif Saad of Fortis MMA and then King Justin Cole at King Justin Cole suggested Alan Belcher, which I thought was a good one too. Yeah, I, I love the Fortis MMA pick because people people maybe have never heard of the Jim Fortis MMA. And, and if I told you that since last year Fortis MMA has had four guys signed to the, the UFC, you'd probably think I was out of my mind. But Steven Peterson just beat Matt Bissett. You got Charles Bird, Jeff Neal, Alonzo Menafield was just signed. W what a crazy run of 12 months for him. And then for Alan Belcher, I feel like if we were doing this list probably six, seven months ago, he'd probably have made the top five because at the time, Jason Knight was killing people, and now he's on a little bit of a fight skid. Same with Chase Sherman. Chase Sherman was killing people. Now he's on a little bit of a skid. They also got Brandon Davis in there. I mean, like, Alan Belcher has done a very low-key great job of getting Mississippi MMA on the map. So props to him for, uh, for being that guy. Like both our honorable mentions, but now it's time to crown a king, the most underrated coach in MMA. It was suggested by at LVMMA underscore and at Dan from OR, which I assume stands for Oregon. And it is number one in our hearts with a bullet. It's Coach Matt Hume. 
Yeah, Matt Hume, first of all, you've probably heard Matt Hume's name, right? If you've watched any of Mighty Mouse fights, uh, you, you know Matt Hume because Joe Rogan gets all excited and he says, Matt Hume, Matt Hume, Matt Hume. But I don't think anybody sees him right now for more than Mighty Mouse, and that's where he's underrated, right? Mighty Mouse is maybe the best fighter ever. You know, there, there's, a, there's definitely, you know, a... a contingency out there that thinks he's the go but we're also forgetting the fact that matt hume trained rich franklin middleweight champion for a long ass time fucking rich franklin knocked out chuck liddell rich fucking franklin on top of that matt hume also coaches the best fighter not currently signed in the ufc and i'm talking about bibby fernandez because bibby fernandez running shit over in asia is absolutely the most underrated fighter over there and i think bibby fernandez would probably be a top, I'm going to say top five contender in the UFC if he came over. Um, and if you haven't checked out his fights, definitely check him out. But the fact that he has trained both of those two, both Mighty Mouse and Bibby at the same time, is just amazing. And also, fun fact about Matt Hume that some of you may not know, professional MMA fighter, 3-0 and in his career, he TKO'd Eric Paulson and Pat Militich. And that's pretty fucking badass, too. And he also made the rules in Pride. And as a Pride mark, I find that pretty cool. So let's run this back real quick. Number five of our top five underrated coaches in MMA was John Crouch of the MMA Lab. Number four, John Wood of Syndicate MMA out in Vegas. Number three, Eugene Behrman of City Kickboxing. Number two, Jason Perillo of Perillo Boxing, responsible for the Bisping career resurgence. And numero uno was Matt Hume of AMC Martial Arts. If you liked our list, if you hated our list, hit us up at Top Turtle MMA on Twitter. We are accepting both love and hate feedback currently. We love doing these lists, and we love hearing from you, the fans, who help contribute to it. We call it crowdsourcing, and this list was built via you, us, the fans, everyone, it's a gigantic love circle. All right, Gumby, let's get to our UFC 227 preview. Is it brought to us by anyone? Our UFC 227 preview is brought to you by Garage Fit. Hey, it's hard to fit training and lifting weights both into our weekly schedule, but you don't have to sacrifice one to make time for the other. Now, now... You have Garage Fit. Garage Fit has all you need to get a high quality workout in your garage so you can make time for your other pursuits. They've got kettlebells, plyo boxes, heavy ropes, the works. Head on over to garagegym.net and check out all Garage Fit can do for you. So for our UFC 227 preview, we're going to start by breaking down the two title fights on the card. I'm liking Cody Garbrand is a slight underdog against TJ Dillashaw. Garbrand right now betting off at negative 105 to TJ Dillashaw's negative 115. Both getting negative money on here. I think Garbrand, even though he got caught in that one, you're going to see more movement out of him in this one. Uh, he He's now seen what TJ has to offer in the cage. And I think as long as he doesn't get clipped again, I think you're going to see him outpoint TJ Dillashaw. So go ahead and check out the prop two on a possible decision here as well. Uh, for the co-main event, I, of course, am going with Mighty Mouse Johnson, even though he's at negative 450 over Henry Cejudo's plus 375. Look, Cejudo's boxing has definitely improved, but I'm not necessarily sure that he can make it over the huge gap that is 
his skill set between his and Mighty Mouse. And then finally for the third fight, I'm going to talk a little bit about Hinato Moicano. I love Hinato Moicano. I love his striking. He is a huge favorite over uh, Cub Swanson, which is kind of surprising here. Swanson, almost as big of an underdog as Henry Cejudo, at plus 340 to Mo- Moicano's negative 420. I'm still liking Moicano in this, um, but it's definitely worth looking at to see if you want to throw some dollars down on Swanson at this big of an underdog, because he has not been this big of an underdog in a long time. So, those are our three picks for UFC 227. I got Garbrandt over Dillashaw, Mighty Mouse Johnson over Henry Cejudo, and Hanato Moicano over Cub Swanson. Once again, this was Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. We thank you guys so much for joining. Without the fans, this show is not possible. We also want to thank our sponsors, GarageFit, Sisu, and ADK Fightwear. We'll also thank the mothership, FlowCombat.com. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at FlowCombat, and you can make sure to check us out at Twitter at TopTurtleMMA. You can also email the show, TopTurtleMMA at gmail.com and check out our YouTube page. We've got some exclusive content going on up there. That's Top Turtle MMA on YouTube. So once again, I am Daniel Gumby Freeland. He is Shockwave Dave Tremonti, and we will catch you next week.